0: After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered round me while I sat, appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting, with my garment and my cloak torn, and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Here ends the Old Testament greeting.
1: How can we turn the cultural tide for the sake of our nation? That was the key question that we were asking at our men's conference last month. The title of the conference was Contending for Truth. And that is my title today as well. As we do start, as Ken mentioned, this new series called Issues Facing Christians. What does contending for truth mean? It really means sticking up for the truth... In front of other people when you get the opportunity and especially when those you are talking to do not agree with you now that men's conference we heard two extremely helpful talks on contending for truth one of them was by Ian Garrett and the other by John Teasdale and there doesn't seem much point in me repeating what they had to say. Instead, I strongly recommend that you find the time if you possibly can to watch those talks, assuming you weren't there. They are just as relevant for women as for men, and you can find them on Clayton TV, and if you turn to the back of your white service sheet and so not the yellow sheet, the white service sheet, you will find there my outline for my uh, talk today. And under uh, that uh, top part, headed Introduction, you can find out, I've jotted down uh, how you can find those talks under the series listing on Clayton TV, uh, or you can find a friend to do that for you. What I want to do today is a kind of case study in contending for truth from the Old Testament. And the other sermons also in this short series are case studies of issues that are current and relevant for us. The sanctity of life, wealth and poverty, and gender identity. So do please come back in the the weeks ahead and hear those if you can. Today, we're going to think about what happened in the time of Ezra. But first of all, I want to set the scene by taking a look at what Jude says in the New Testament. So first of all, and the first of my two main headings, here the New Testament call to contend. Now could you find in the Bibles the little letter of Jude? We heard the opening verses from this earlier on. It's there on page 1027, although there's no number at the top. Because of all these uh, letter headings, but it's 1027. And take a look at verses 3 and 4. Are you there? Have you got it? 1027. Jude, verses 3 and 4. So this is God's word to us through Jude. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now those are two crucially important verses for our times. And I want us to notice a number of things there, and I've put them on the outline. For one thing, let's be clear that contending is not what we want, but it is what we need. Jude just wanted to be positive and to rejoice in the Lord Jesus and to rejoice in the common salvation that believers share and to rejoice in how Jesus has rescued us through his death and his resurrection. And is that not what we want to do now as believers? But Jude knew that we will never be able to bear clear and powerful witness to saving truth If we are not prepared to call out falsehood and lies that damage and enslave people. We don't want to contend, but we need to. And the reason that we can do that with confidence is that God's truth has been revealed and is unchanging. We have that truth in the scriptures, the Bible... And the fact that in the modern world we can stream TV programs on our smartphones does not mean that we know better than God and can change or reject His truth without massive damage. And the damage is very real. That is why Jude is also clear that false teaching is deadly, it creeps in unnoticed at first. It perverts, it twists, it distorts God's grace. It promotes immorality. It rejects the lordship of Christ. So this kind of false teaching twists the fact that God is full of grace and mercy out of all recognition. It is a rejection of biblical faith. It promises everything but slams shut in people's faces the only door to peace with God, which is through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the words of Jude, those who teach such things pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So this matters. It could not matter more And therefore, we must respond to God's call to contend for the truth. We must hear this New Testament call to contend. That is point one. Then point two, the second of my main headings, is this. So secondly, learn from an Old Testament case study. It's always good to see principles in action, to see how they work out in practice, And the Bible is full of examples, not least in the Old Testament. The circumstances were different, but God was the same, and there is much for us to learn. So I want us to turn back now to that reading that we heard uh, earlier on from the book of Ezra. This case study in Contending for Truth is in Ezra chapters 9 and 10, and that starts on page 395. So can you get to... Page 395, Ezra chapters 9 and 10. It's quite a long section. You'll be glad to know that we are not going to go through this in detail. Page 395, Ezra chapter 9. And I want to draw out seven lessons in contending for truth from what happened here. And you can see those also set out on the outline. But before we get into those, let me set the scene for what's going on. The background is this. The people of Israel were God's chosen people. The forerunners of the church. And God chose them and called them to be holy so that through them he could bless all the nations of the world. He did not choose them just for their own benefit and for their own blessing, but in order that he could bless all the world through them. And to become a blessing... They had to be radically different from the godless, immoral, and idolatrous pagan nations around them. And because of the danger of being dragged away into immorality and idolatry, their men were forbidden to marry pagan women from the surrounding nations. They had to be faithful to the living God who had called them. But instead... They were unfaithful. They wanted to be like the godless nations around them. So they engaged in all of what the Bible calls the detestable practices of those pagan nations. Instead of changing the nations around them, as they should have done, they were changed by them. And as a result, they came under God's judgment. Jerusalem, their capital city, was destroyed, they were ruined, they were taken away into exile. And the parallels between their experience and what has happened to the church in the Western world over the last 50 years are very striking. Two generations later the survivors were allowed to return to the ruined city of Jerusalem and some of them did. But even after the disaster that had befallen them, had they learned their lesson? No. Many of the men once again began to marry women from the pagan nations around. They married them despite the clear commands in God's word that they were not to do so. Because of the great spiritual danger that would put them in. And they did it despite the fact that this was exactly the kind of behavior that brought them to ruin and exile before. Some of them, at least, were actually divorcing their Israelite wives so they could marry these pagan women. The prophet Malachi makes that clear. Ezra was an Israelite priest and Bible teacher Who was in exile and he came back to Jerusalem some years later into this community of returned Israelites and at first he did not realize the extent of this potentially ruinous disobedience that was going on he began systematically teaching the Bible to the people teaching the truth into this situation of grave error and that is when things erupted on this pagan marriage issue now unquestionably these chapters Ezra chapters 9 and 10 make for a disturbing and challenging section of scripture and we can't deal here we just don't have time we can't deal here with all of the questions that they raise but that's what happens when a nation gets itself systematically into a spiritual and moral mess. There is an inevitable tragedy. There is no easy way out. Only through a painful encounter with the living God and his word of truth can peace and hope be found in the end. The sinful, disastrous behavior has to stop. In this case, these pagan marriages that will drag Israel back into catastrophe if they're allowed to continue. The mess has to be unraveled. And that is what happens in these chapters. Read the details later for yourselves. But here are those seven lessons in contending for truth from this painful episode in Israel's history. First of all, get familiar with the story of God's people. We need to know about what happens here with Ezra. A major part of their problem was that they were so quickly forgetting what had got Israel into such a catastrophic mess in the first place. So they were just repeating the same mistakes and heading for the same disaster. They should have known, and we need to know from the history of our ancestors in the faith, that unfaithfulness is disastrous. And that revival only comes by the grace of God through repentance and faith. Secondly, be someone who trembles at the word of God, the word of the living God. Some of the leaders of the Israelites came to Ezra And admitted to him what had been going on with these pagan marriages. Contrary to God's law and contrary to God's purposes for his people. And Ezra was horrified. So from uh, verse 3 of chapter 9. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak. And pulled hair from my head and beard. And sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered round me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. See, there are basically two different approaches to the Bible and its teaching that we can take. We can look for loopholes Trying to find ways round it, trying to find ways not to take it seriously without absolutely outright rejecting it. We can look for loopholes or we can tremble at it. Aware that we're listening to the very words of the living God, knowing that the only right response is to understand. And believe and obey and we will never contend for the truth of God's Word if we haven't first learned to tremble at it. Thirdly, have your eyes open to what is happening in our church and our society. Not only must we have our ears open to the Word of God We must have our eyes open as well. If we shut our eyes to the reality of what's going on around us, of course we'll never be useful to God in trying to change things for the better. Ezra's reform began when some of the Israelite officials faced up to what was going on around them and approached Ezra with the facts. And burying our heads in the sand might seem a lot easier, might seem a lot more comfortable. But if we do that, we simply allow a bad situation to continue to slide and to get worse and worse and worse. Fourthly, contend both collectively and also individually. There is here a significant collaboration between the individual Ezra, who certainly gives a lead in his response to the situation, And also the wider group of God's people who have seen the need for fundamental change and we need both if we are to contend for truth effectively in our church and in our society we need to stand together with others others who see the issues others who are ready to act but then some individuals have a particular calling which may be more public And if that's you, then be prepared, if necessary, and it often is, be prepared to stand alone. Stand together, but be ready to stand alone. 500 years ago, Martin Luther was prepared to stand alone, trembling as he was before the word of God. And he triggered the Reformation in the church then. Bishop J.C. Ryle, a great contender for truth in the Church of England in the 1800s, once wrote in words that I have personally found to have great force and relevance. He said this, We want more boldness among the friends of truth. There is far too much tendency to sit still and wait for committees and number our adherents. We want more men who are not afraid to stand alone. It is truth, not numbers, which shall always, in the end, prevail. Fifthly, feel the seriousness of the situation. We've already heard how appalled Ezra was when he found out what was going on. This is what happened Next, So this is from verse 5 of chapter 9. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Now, how we feel these things will vary, because our personalities vary enormously. We are such different people, and praise God for that. That's fine. But the seriousness of our unfaithfulness to God in our church and our society has to impact not just our minds, but our hearts. If we're going to put our heads above the parapet and contend for truth in a potentially hostile environment, then it is not enough for us to think about the truth superficially. We have to feel it deep down in our hearts. Like Ezra, we have to be appropriately appalled and prayerfully ashamed and then we will be ready with the help of the spirit of God who lives within us to act on the next lesson so sixthly speak humbly but boldly and this is where the rubber hits the road this is where the contending takes place if we're ready and willing to speak up then God will give us opportunities But we must always remember that in such situations there are two kinds of speaking that need to be going on. So speak on your knees to God in prayer. And speak on your feet, as it were, to church and society. Ezra first fell on his knees in prayer, pouring out his heart to God. And then as chapter 10, verse 5 says, so just over the page, chapter 10, verse 5. says Ezra arose Ezra arose to challenge the leaders of Israel to action and by that time the spirit of God had been at work in their hearts too and they were ready to listen Ezra humbled himself before God and the people identifying himself with the sin that had got them into this mess and then from that position of humility he spoke with great boldness So speak humbly, but boldly. And then finally, act when you can. You might not be able to do more than speak up when the opportunity is given to you. But sometimes there are things we can do to further the work of revival and reform. And timing in that is crucial. It is far better to work to prevent the slide towards patterns of unfaithful behavior. Once these things are embedded in the life of church and society, it becomes very difficult, very painful to turn back the tide. You can get into the tragic and unavoidable situation of having, as it were, to choose the lesser of two evils if things are going to be put right. Right? So, act to avert that kind of tragedy before it's too late. But act to bring radical reform when necessary. A lot more needs to be said. Do watch those talks from the men's conference. But let's hear this call to contend for the truth. And remember those lessons from Ezra. Think of them as relating to our ears. Our eyes, our feet, our heart, our mouth, and our hands. Ears open to God's word. Eyes open to see what's going on around us. Feet on which to take our stand. Heart to feel mouth to speak, and hands to act. As the grieving Israelites, moved by the Spirit of God, said to Ezra, this is chapter 10 and verse 4, Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Let's bow our heads to pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have called us to a task. To contend for the truth of your word. To contend for the truth of the faith that you've revealed to us in Christ. Lord, please... By the blood of Jesus, forgive us our failures to contend. We praise you, Lord, and thank you that you are with us by your spirit in this calling. And we ask that you will help us to learn from Ezra, from all those who've gone before us. Help us to be strong and do it. In the name of Jesus. Amen.